can. If you'd like to, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen today. We're going to be turning one verse of Scripture today. You might think this is kind of cut and dry and easy and it's not a big deal looking at um, the Ten Commandments. You'd think that that's a simple one. But we'll see how it goes, how it goes today. The four words in one simple verse today that would appear to be easy. And it just simply says, Exodus 20 and 13, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. That's simple enough, isn't it? Thou shalt not kill. All right. Bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for honoring the word. It was such a short one. Barely even stood up and you had to sit down. But it's not always like that. But thank you for honoring that reading words. In case we don't know, let me just give us a, a rundown of what the Ten Commandments are. Um, just in this short, abbreviated version. There's no other God before God. No graven images. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not covet. The Ten Commandments, they were placed in the Bible. They were given to Moses on Mount Moriah because God wanted us to um, have a right relationship with each other and ultimately with God. Uh, today we're going to look at this second of the six commandments that deal with our relationship with man. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship with mankind. And we can't have the right relationship with, with uh, God and not have the right relationship with man and vice versa. But today we're going to look at this sixth word, this condensed version of it. It's just, we're going to talk about murder today. And I know that, no doubt, I don't think anybody here has murdered that I know of as far as physically killing someone. But who knows? And it's okay. God will forgive us of anything. I know that. But 16 years old, I was a senior in high school. I graduated young. I was the youngest graduation member of West Hopkins High School in 1988. I know I'm aging myself of that, but... I was uh, at 16 the first part of that year. My neighbor Teresa and I were taking turns driving to school, and it was her turn to drive that day, thank goodness. Because as we popped this little hill right before you get to Beulah, some of y'all have been there pretty close where my house is, he was just running up that driveway like he just knew he had to get to the other side of the road. And there was nothing that she could do. And I remember it all happened quite fast, but we felt the thump. I remember seeing that poor little puppy rolling down the road, looking back at him just rolling down the road and landing on the side of the road. I remember looking at Teresa and calling her a murderer. <laughs> she cried. She was upset. And this was not Teresa. She you, you, Teresa. She's a very tough girl, and tomboy, and did a lot of things upset her. But this. Running over this dog and killing this dog was uh, kind of tough for her that day. And she was a dog lover. She loved animals. But I made sure that I helped it by Sister Michelle by looking at her and saying, you're such a murderer. You're killing that dog. But we did stop and we made sure the owner knew that that new little puppy would not be around anymore and that they probably would need to do something with it. 
And so that brings us to where we are here today. Thou shalt not kill. And there's the sixth commandment. And it's just pretty simple. Thou shalt not kill. And Teresa had just killed. <laughs> she killed that thing. She killed that, that poor dog. Now, I bet all of us has probably been at that point. You might remember the first time you run over a dog. Maybe you've never run over one. If you drive enough, you're going to run over one. You're going to run over a cat. You're going to run over. Maybe the worst thing I ever ran over just really got me the other day. We was heading home one day, and this family of raccoons, this mama, about two or three raccoons, is running across the road. China tried to swerve every way I could. I could not stop I slowed down enough, but Sister Valma, I looked in the rearview mirror and I seen at least one adult and two raccoons that were left in the road dead. Uh, I'm a hunter. I, I've killed deer. I've killed a lot of different animals, but that, that was tough that day. That was hard on me. But is that what God intended with this sixth word to the people? Does God prohibit us from killing a deer on a hunt? Does he permit us, does he not want us killing um, a mosquito that maybe lands on your forehead or, or maybe a wasp that's about to kill, uh, sting you or maybe has stung you? Or, or what about us defending ourselves when a burglar drapes, he, he breaks into our house and in self-defense? Is this what God really meant with the sixth commandment? When we read the King James Version, the simple verse that I have here behind me, it says just simply, thou shalt not kill. Exodus 20 and 13. In case you don't know where the Ten Commandments are in the Bible, it is actually here in Exodus 20. But it simply says, thou shalt not kill. And if we look at other versions, I, I do like to look at other versions and compare them with uh, the King James Version, which I feel like is probably the most accurate of all the versions. The, the English Standard Version says, thou shalt not murder. The NIV says, thou shalt not murder. Then a SB says, thou shalt not murder. Even the New King James Version, version renders this as, you shall not murder. Now, if you're familiar with the message paraphrase of Eugene Peterson, he makes it really short and condensed, and he just says, no murder. So, but God did not forbid us from killing animals for food. And I know we got a lot of activists out there today that, that talks about that. I mean, honestly, I mean, it's hit a deer. I mean, I don't know how many deer. It's not even funny. We need some crowd control with that, all right? We, we need to get the deer under control. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's keeping us from killing mosquitoes and bees and, and snakes. And if you're a snake person, I'm sorry. I hate them. I hope all die. I don't like them. And everyone I see, I'm going to kill. And, and because I don't like them. So, uh, spiders and things like that. But, and, but see, just in fact, we see 11 verses after this one. God commanded his people to slay and to offer animals for an atonement for their sins. So, but God does draw a, a red line at what he considers murder. He knows that there is irreversible damage that murder does to humanity. Um, I know that just recently there's some people that's connected to, to our church that, um, you know, without calling names, that some of that is kind of maybe kin to some of you out there that somebody was murdered 
stabbed. And no doubt we all know some different people that maybe it's been murdered in your that you're connected to. It, you know what kind of what's it do? It it really causes some some issues in, in our world and in that life and stuff. But only two chapters into humanity history, human history, we see Adam and Eve, they eat of the tree, the tree that they weren't supposed to, and when they did, they opened up the door wide open to sin. And God uh, he, he still smiled on them and he gave them two sons. He gave them Cain and Abel. But only two generations into the family tree, Cain got so jealous of Abel that he ended up luring him into the field. He ambushed him and murdered him. Now, here, we're still in a broken world. Our world is extremely broken. And it started at the garden with Adam and Eve. And it would have been easy for Cain to be convicted of murder, no doubt. Cain, he had the motivation. He had the means. He had a rock. He had the opportunity, or however he done it. Cain intentionally killed his brother Abel. And based on the information we have, I don't think Cain could have got off at all. Any jury around probably would have convicted Cain of intentionally killing his brother. Because Abel was created in God's image for God's glory, just like every one of us. It doesn't matter whether you like the person or you don't like the person. It doesn't matter whether they seem to be a brilliant person or not brilliant person. Everybody was created in God's image and we were created for God's glory. And Abel had no idea that his trip in the field that day to meet up with his older brother that he loved and that he trusted would be his last trip that he would ever take. And Cain intentionally murdered Abel. Intentionally. That is a very heavy weight on a word. It's intentional. There are things we need to do in life intentional. We need to be intentional about good relationships, whether it be with God or, or, or positive people. We need to be intentional about that. But when it comes to us intentionally hurting and killing somebody, that's a lot of weight. And it carries a lot of weight with God because God values human life so much. He wrote this commandment into the top ten list that we should live by. Sister Janet, God values human life above whales. He values human life above the birds in the ocean. And people get all bent out of sh shape about so many different things, but yet we have so many lives that's been killed like the unborn babies in this world. And, and God cares about that. He cares about life. Whales and birds, they weren't created in God's image. But Sister Lisa, we were. And God knows that there may be tragic times when somebody unintentionally takes somebody else's life. It's heartbreaking. It's tearful. It's painful. I understand that concept. My grandfather accidentally killed my dad in a hunting accident. It was tragic. It was hard. But my grandfather did not mean to accidentally shoot my father in the stomach that caused him to die that day. It was hard, but that was not murder. But he did accidentally kill him. And God knew it was possible that sometimes it actually happens. And he made conditions for someone who unintentionally took somebody else's life so he wouldn't lose his own life. Because 
In the, in the Old Testament, if you killed somebody, it was eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If you killed somebody, they're going to kill you. That's just the way it worked. So while they were in the wilderness wandering around the children of Israel, and they finally made it to the promised land, God commanded them to take six different cities as what they called cities of refuge. These cities were set apart for one purpose. They were a refuge for someone to run to if they accidentally or unintentionally killed someone else. Six cities out of 48 cities was in the promised land. That's one out of eight cities. There are 423 cities in Kentucky. So if we use that same standard, there would be 53 cities of refuge. So if you accidentally killed someone, in my grandfather's case, you know, he could have ran to that city and for somebody thought that he intentionally killed my father in that hunting accident, he would have been safe in there until he had a fair trial. That's what this was all about. There were three these, these cities, there were three cities of refuge on the east of Jordan and three cities on the west. In reality, you think about this, this seems to be a lot of cities for something that during that time was really very rare that somebody would accidentally kill somebody. How many times does an axe head fly off the handle and hit somebody walking by? I mean, it doesn't really happen a, a whole lot, but, but God wanted there to be safety in case somebody unintentionally killed someone else. That, that word again, intention. Who determines? That's the question today. Who determines what determines what was unintentional and what was intentional? God did that. And God gave his children tests to take for those who lived after someone they had struck had died. And he said this. He said, if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies... He is a murderer. If the murderer shall, the murderer shall surely be, if the murderer shall, shall surely be put to death. Excuse me, tongue tied here. If he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, he does die. He is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. But he goes on to say, the danger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. Basically saying, look, if they killed somebody intentionally, so put it, put it in, in, in our terms here today, basically, so David, if, if I was to kill a family member of yours, you had the right to come kill me. That's the way it worked. And if he pushes him out hatred or while lying in wait, he hurls at him. This is the scripture. This is actually Numbers 35, 16 through 21, kind of the different versions, just to make it more plain. He said, while lying in wait, hurl something to him so that he dies. Or enmity, he strikes him with his hand so that he dies. The one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. These are loaded words. Strikes, hatred, enmity. This is what makes it intentional. Now, don't check out with me here in a second. I'm going to take this to a different direction here in a second. I'm going to get the, the, the context that we're, it lies with us today. Because, you know, all these, they paint some grim pictures of what someone with hatred in their heart plans and murders somebody intentionally. That is diabolical. That is sinister. And we see it now in our ire. And Moses basically would flip the coin to the other side, and he sees all of a sudden, if 
he pushes him with hatred and throws anything a lying way. If, if he's doing all this intentional, it's murder. But if it's an accident, it's not. Hopefully we can see the difference here, okay? So the guy cleaning out his field, he's out there cleaning out his field and he throws a rock and he hits some guy in the wood and unintentionally kills him. That person's not guilty of murder. It's tragic. He still leaves behind a grieving family. Like my situation, my dad and my grandfather. In truth, the matter, my grandfather grieved himself to death. Dad died in 90, 93, and my grandfather died in 2000, uh, 1998. My dad died in 94, I'm sorry, and grandfather died in 98 of colon cancer, where he just literally grieved himself to death for killing his son accidentally. But it leaves behind this grieving, unintentional. But his word wasn't enough. If he told people, look, I'm innocent, the congregation still had to judge between him and the victim's family to determine whether he was guilty intentionally or not. They want to know, did he hate him? Was he angry with him? You see, did he have an opportunity, a chance to get even with him? They wanted to make sure, all right? Now, that's the Old Testament, how it identified the motive for murder and for hate. And I'm saying all that today for a reason because now we're living in a different time. We do have we do have government system that is uh, trying its best to keep this stuff in line and all that. And do I think the government is all fair up there? No, not necessarily. But the Old Testament identifies the motive for the murder as hate. Now then, I want us to leap from the Old Testament to the New Testament from what we call the black and white letters now into what we see as the red letter law that we see from Jesus in Matthew 5. Now listen to this. Because this word, it really applies to us. Most likely, nobody in here has murdered or is going to murder somebody. Although nowadays, who knows? I heard a statistic yesterday that was astounding. They said the Revolutionary War, whenever... Uh, they went into the battlefields. They found that 60% of the guns had never been shot. World War I, they found that 60% of the guns had never been shot when they went to the battlefield. World War II, they found that 60% of the guns had not been shot in the battlefield. Now let's fast forward into the Iraqi wars. You know what the percentage of the war, the guns that they found shot there were on the battlefield of dead people? 30%. The only thing they can contribute it to is one factor, and that is the violent video games that people play nowadays. And how used to that we were taught this stuff that I just talked to us, how we don't intentionally take people's lives, but now then we're using violent video games to train our children as they're being raised up that it's okay to pull the trigger and kill someone. So we may think this stuff doesn't matter, but what I'm talking about here today, it does matter even where we are right now. That's just a side note that I didn't have written down today. So if you got kids, video games, or maybe this isn't you, it'd probably be best not to play those violent video games where you just pull the trigger on somebody because if you ever get in a situation, you may pull the trigger on somebody that you don't even need to pull the trigger on. All right? Now listen to what Jesus said concerning this. 
He said, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whosoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. This is Matthew 5, 21 through 22. Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother, everybody say angry. Without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. What we see in this, Jesus is trying to get us to understand the value of him. What he's trying to do is protect human life. In the Old Testament, God drew this red line at murder. You don't kill somebody. Now, everybody talks about how the, the New Testament is uh, Jesus' time. It's a little easier. No, no, Jesus is making this harder, okay? Because he's drawn a line more just at, not just the action, but more to that intention that I was talking about a while ago. In the Old Testament, he draw the line at, in, in the commandment as, look, you don't murder. But here in the New Testament, he draws the line a little farther back. He said, look, yeah, you're not supposed to murder, but let's take it farther than that. Don't even get angry or you're causing some issues. He said, don't get angry with your brother or your sister or even your enemy. And there's a good chance you won't break that sixth commandment of killing someone. Because this is where we are when we get angry it can lead you to all kinds of things. Um, as a young, young man, I had an extremely bad temper. Um, I remember I had to be less than six or seven years old. I have one brother. You guys know him. Most of you do. He's older than me. He was an antagonizer to me. He irritated the far out of me, always picking at me. He loved me to death, but he picked at me. And he caught me one day at a very bad time, twice. One day I picked the brick up and threw it down in the misty. And the other time I took this chain, he, I was just playing with it. I was young, five, six, something like that. I remember it vaguely. I remember him telling the story more than anything. And, and he kept aggravating me, so I come up with that chain and wrapped it around his head. Dang. And barely missed his temple to come around this side and just that close to killing me. So um, as a young man, I realized I got a temper, anger that I got to keep suppressed and keep under control because if I let that go, I've never seen that anger come out of me since then until we had been married a little while. I don't know how long we've been married, but we was in the house we're in now. And my grandmother told this story a, a time or two. My grandmother had, she loved these animals and this cat got, she had 30 cats behind her house and sometimes it'd be 50 and they'd take 30 cats off and nobody ever took care of them. So here's 40, 50 more cats. And this one cat got caught in my grandfather's shroud as he cranked his vehicle and just cut this cat all to pieces, all right? And um, my grandmother nursed it back to health. So we'd see the cat limping around all this place. So I had this dog. Did I mention my brother was an antagonizer? I did, right? So I had this dog. I kept him on the chain. My brother would just aggravate the far out of him. And so he came up one day, aggravated my brother's on the fool or something, aggravating the dog. He snapped that cable that he was on. He's a pretty good sized dog. Had German Shepherd in it. Went running towards my brother like he's fixing to bite my brother. Yelled, screamed or something. So he ran from him and seen that cat. And got a hold of that cat. And I mean, I just viciously shredded that cat. And something flipped in me. 
at that moment. I ran, I grabbed the nearest thing I could find. I think, if I remember right, it was a rake. And when I finally caught myself, realizing what I was doing, I had that rake and literally was beating that dog down and about killed it myself. I just flipped something. Just, and at that moment, it's like that, that same anger that I felt so many years ago. And at that time, I probably was, if I'm guessing, not far as 30 maybe. I was fairly young. Um, I'm still young. I'm 50. That's young. But anyway. Uh, that, that's the type of thing I'm talking about. If I could lose that on a dog, if I get in the right spot, I could lose it on somebody else. I could lose it on my wife. I could lose it on my kids. And this is, this is what Jesus knew. So he said, don't even get angry. Because had Cain had kept his anger under control, Abel would have probably lived to see his great, 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 great grandchildren. Because at that time, they lived so many years. I mean, like Adam was 950 years old when he died. So they lived so long. He would have seen, but because of Cain's anger that got out of control, if he had caught the anger, there wouldn't have been murder. And, and Jesus knew this. So Cain started with anger and it ended up all the way down that sidewalk of now that I'm going to kill you. And anger is that thing that will carry you farther than you want to go. It's that day when I, I caught myself with that dog and I realized, what am I doing? This is just a dog. This is just a cat. And I lost it. If we allow anger to control us, it can lead to so many things being damaged in our world. And Jesus knew this. So Jesus used the Sermon on the Mount to draw this line for Christians to, to take this sixth commandment and draw it back a little farther and say, look, yeah, murder's bad, but let's go farther. Don't even get angry. He's saying, look, if you want to be a disciple, get rid of your anger. Get your anger under control. Because if we, if we don't, we'll jump on that hatred that we see in the Old Testament or anger that we see in the New Testament. And if we're not careful, we'll end up at murder. And this is more than just angry because they forgot the ketchup on your burger at Dairy Queen. All right? How many times did that? Well, they didn't give me my fries. They didn't. You know, we get upset at that, but it's more than that. It's, it's talking about something that um, it triggers. If you'll notice anger, there's, there's trigger moments. There's things that maybe from your childhood, something's unresolved that you didn't take care of. It, it even can be something that's passed from your parents down to you. Let it stop at you. Texas has got, he's talked about it. We just had our generational curse breakers uh, um, youth week. And Texas is one of those. He's broke that generational curse in himself and he's changing his family history and, he's, and, and Corbin is going to see a different side of life than maybe what he has seen in his life because Texas has told some of the stories that he's went he's dealt with as he's, he was growing up but Corbin is not going to see that because Texas cut that off and we can do that and anger is one of those things and I've heard people say well this is I had, I had a young man tell me this one day Standing out here, he was mad, upset. He said, well, this is just how my family is. Well, we have a choice to cut that off at where you are. You don't, don't have to continue that thing because anger is something that's unrelenting. It's unforgettable. Hateful anger that boils your blood, that, that steals your sleep from you, that steals you, that, that takes all these things from you where... And, and there's so many things could build up to that. Jealousy is the thing that brought Cain to that. Jealousy, the Bible says, is cruel as a grave because when jealousy begins to really 
manifest itself. It gets to that place. How many, how many spouses have been killed by a jealous husband or wife that, that, that build up in this hatred and anger that somebody died? You know, in his book on Matthew, Warren Wiersbe writes, out of one out of every 35 deaths in Chicago is a murder. And most of these murders are crimes of passion caused by anger among friends and relatives. He went on to say, Jesus did not say anger leads to murder. He said that anger is murder. And we're not careful that anger uncontrolled calls us to do unthinkable things that we don't, don't want or need to do. And this is why Jesus drawed that line at a different place and said, look, yeah, let's don't just kill people physically, but you can kill them spiritually before they ever get there. A.W. A. Pink writes, if we be, it would be discovered that thou shalt not kill really signifies thou shalt not hate. We get, the Bible talks about being angry and sin and not. You're going to get mad. But we can't let it manifest and turn into something else. It's not wrong to get mad, angry. It's wrong when we begin to harbor that and then let that turn into an intention that I'm going to get them back. Amen. Jesus drew this line for, for Christians and people who want to be like him. And before we harbor this hateful, lethal anger, we need to repent and ask God to give us grace, to offer grace back to somebody else that would hurt us. Because not all murder is murder, motivated by anger. Abortion, suicide, they're often fueled by a completely different motive. Abortion is mo often is motivated by a new mother or father that realizes, oh my goodness, this is going to change my lifestyle if I have this baby. What about euthanasia where the physician-assisted suicide? Is, it's, it comes through sympathy to, to help somebody that they love, help them not suffer. It's still, it's a wrong motive, but it's still murder. As pure as motive that may seem to be, God is the giver of life, and only He can require that life. And suicide is often motivated by a feeling of hopelessness and despair. God is the giver of life, and only God has the right to say it's time, even in our own lives. Whether it be homicide, euthanasia, suicide, all these break the heart of God. And they break the sixth commandment by taking precious life. All human life has value because we are all created in the image of God. Amen. But there are times when another person, when another person created in the image of God is focused on harming somebody else that's created in God's image. And all we have to do is you can open up your phones, turn on your television to the news, specifically our phones, and you can just begin to Scroll through the news feed and you can, you can have hours of heartbreaking stories of murder, rape, burglary, robbery, abuse, molestation. And God clearly hates murder, but what about self-defense? Let's talk about this for a second. I, I don't like much. I'm almost done here. Do we have the right to defend people that God has given us that we love and cherish? Do we have the right to defend ourselves? If a burglar breaks through my front door and wants to get my personal items, hey, take it. You know, I'm not going to stop you if I'm there. But if he wants my wife and kids, he can't have them. Amen. And, and God knows how corrupt people can be. I think he's made a provision for us to protect 
us and our family. It's just two chapters after he said, don't kill. Moses gave conditions of self-defense. The man steals an ox or sheep and slaughters it and sells it. He shall restore five oxen and five ox and four sheep. Four sheep. And he said, if the thief be found breaking in and he is struck so he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Now listen to this. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then it shall be sold for the thief. And if the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it's ox, donkey, or sheep, he shall restore double. This is Exodus 22, 1 through 4. What he's doing, he's, he's forming a, a, a foundation for what's called the castle doctrine, okay? Since our home is considered a castle, we're allowed to defend our castle. But at what cost? God gave them the right to defend. If somebody breaks in at nighttime and you can't see what they're doing and you're trying to protect your family, you to, to wake up and see them at the foot of your bed and you don't know what they're doing, it look like they're fixing it to do what, you know, you have, he gave them the right. Kill them if you're protecting your family. But then he says, if the sun's up and you catch them red-handed, then you don't have a right to kill them. So, He's given us a right that simply saying don't kill when you can clearly see who it is, punish them that fits the crime. God calls it murder if you kill them once you find them, but if you can't see them. See, see the difference? Now, I don't know anyone with a healthy view of life who really wants to kill another human being. If it's clearly self-defense, it's our last resort I think God gives us that right to do that. But if you can't wait, you can't do that, run. All right? Now, I hope none of us will ever face that predicament of having to take another human's life to save our own. I hope none of us are ever there at that place. But all of us fight a daily war of words. Okay? As I bring this to a close today with what is really important. Whoever wrote, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They lied to us. Y'all know that. Um, they must have not ever been hit with a barrage of words from people. Words leave wounds. Amen. And none of us is going to get out of this life, none of us is going to get out of this life without being harmed by words. If you ever seen the little kids, the kindergartners, how cruel their words can be. But let me tell you today, we don't, we don't really give that up when we grow up. Sadly, we still use our words like weapons to wound people who wound us. We lash back. Or we wound people before they wound us. We're going to do it two different ways. We think they're going to wound us, so we go ahead and wound them with our words. Or they wound us, so we wound them back. We battle with what we should say, type, text. We have a choice. Solomon, why Solomon in the book of Proverbs 18, 21 said that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And this is the danger, the anger being out of control, especially in our generation. We can heal or hurt someone with our words. Whether we heal or hurt is a matter of our heart. Amen. If our heart is right, our words will be right. They can be the most powerful tools to build up others 
but they can also be the deadliest weapons to kill someone else. And we were not the first to fight this battle. First century disciples fought it also. Jesus condemned the weapon word we don't say in our day. I read a second ago called Raka. And he condemned another word also in this text that I read earlier, Matthew 5. It's called full. These two words are very weighty. We don't realize it. Raka literally means worthless, good for nothing, no value. So Jesus used these words to say, look, if you're telling somebody they're worthless, good for nothing, of no value, you're murdering them. You're killing them. And we know that's not true because God created us in the image of God. He formed us together with his own hands. He breathed his spirit into us and made us alive. And if we call another person worthless, we're saying the people that God created, people that he lived and died for, they have no value. So when you're telling somebody they're worthless, what you're really doing is saying, God, you've done a bad job. No wonder someone with little value for human life could take a human life. And there's the other word, fool. Some scholars suggest the word was far weightier than we use it now. Calling someone a fool was calling them a rebel against God, someone that was destined for hell. They were basically passing sentence that they weren't qualified to pass. They were basically, if you called somebody a fool, you, what you were saying, there's nothing you can do, you're bound for hell. You're judging them to hell. That's not our right, okay? We cannot judge anybody to hell. Basically, he's telling, look, when you do that, you're, you're brave enough to put on the black robe that only I can wear, and you sit on that bench that only I have the right to do it, you pass judgment, and guess what? You're going to be the first one to judge. This is where that verse could judge not unless you be judged by the same judgment. It does not say not to judge. He said, if you're going to judge, you've got to understand you're going to be judged by the same judgment. Amen. By the word. By the word, absolutely. Yep. And we can't judge someone to hell. We may let somebody know, look, this action you're living by may cause you to go to hell. But it's not my right to put anybody in heaven or hell. That's only God's. And we need to understand that we'll receive that same sentence. So, how do we stay alive in this world without being hurt when we're surrounded by all the words flying around? Who knew that a tweet could be so deadly? <laughs> the Apostle Paul, they didn't know what Twitter was and Facebook and all this other stuff. But with the insight of God, the Apostle Paul wrote something that we can apply to us today that we live Ephesians 4 and 29. He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Then he tells us how to fix it. He said, but that which is good to the use of edifying, they may minister grace to the hearers. We need not say anything corrupt, foul, or abusive. We, we don't need to fight vocal fire with verbal fire. Sometimes the best fight and a vocal fire is just to not say nothing. Because all it does is make the fire bigger. Everyone won't always treat you right. Okay? There's going to be times people are going to hurt your feelings with their words. 
There's going to be times people are going to say things that's going to rub you the wrong way. And Sister Velma, as hard as it is, sometimes, almost every time, the best defense is no defense. Because sometimes it's your friends, sometimes it's your family, and sometimes it's even your church family. And a lot of times it's unintentional because of just the hurt that they're dealing with. The old saying applies, hurting people hurt people, right? Our enemies are not going to give us some great shining review. But no matter how others treat us, we have no right to fight their fire with our own. Now, not to their back, not to their face. And we sure don't need to do it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or any other social media platform that's out there. There is not a fire district in this world big enough to put out some fires that have been started with just words. When, when you're hurt by someone, just take it to Jesus, all right? Amen. Tell Jesus about it. Tell your pastor about it. Um, run to them and say, look, I, I feel hurt. You have to express it sometimes, but don't express it on Facebook, social media. Don't express it to the gossip ring. Go to somebody you know that can help you because to fan them flames, someone that's going to cause a wildfire. Okay, how do you do that in our time? Okay, here's the thing. I've had people to text me words they would never say to my face. Yep. Never could say it to my face. It's a danger in texting. And the thing is, I've had people to text me things that I took wrong that they didn't even really mean that way. Yeah. And people took wrong because there is no emotion in texting. I don't care what emoji you put with it, you can't trust it, alright? It doesn't matter what emoji you put with it. So if there's something real you need to tell somebody, the best thing to do is tell them face to face. And to do that, you need to do it with grace and not with something that's going to destroy them. So, don't fan the flames of somebody else's wildfire. You see somebody getting rant, ranting on Facebook? Don't favor it. Don't like it. Don't share it. Don't retweet the post. Leave it alone. Because if you get on there liking it and all this kind of stuff, guess what you're going to do? You're just going to fan the flames. You're going to, you're going to fan the flames. It's going to be worse. Brother L.J. Harry in his book, Ten Words, said, Our granny was right. If we don't have anything nice to say, it's best that we don't say anything at all. Since granny lived before social media and texting, let's amend her saying to don't say type text like favorite retweet click or heart emoji anything <laughs> at all <laughs> but church we do have something nice to say we have the gospel Amen. we can speak and we should speak and we have no more voice at all to speak about the goodness of God and the beauty of his church and what he's done then we should type it text it until we have no more strength Nothing left in our fingers to type and text. Say it, type it, text it, speak it, tell the world. Our world needs a lot more of Jesus and a lot more of us sharing a lot more of his love. And this sixth word, thou shalt not murder, is so much more than just shooting or stabbing somebody. It's the anger, the intent. And if you and I can be careful with our words, 
we'll cut a lot of that off. And thou shalt not murder, not with our hands, not with our heart, and definitely not with our words. So I'm done with this today, and I'd like to say a word of prayer for us. Lord, we, we love you. We're so thankful today for your blessings. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for everyone here today, God. Thank you, Lord, for your good blessings. Thank you for the word of the Lord. I pray that you would help us, God.